0: Well, good morning. It's still morning. We got about six minutes. Aren't you thankful for our worship team? Yeah, they just an incredible job. Yeah, thankful. Well, uh, my name is Pastor A.T. Hargrave. I am one of the teaching pastors and uh, the director of the Leadership Institute. I get a chance to preach this morning as uh, Pastor Lawrence and Tracy, or um, at another church. Um, there's been a lot, you can see the tables kind of set out. We've been in this series called Come to the Table. There's been a lot of things said about that. And uh, I hope this morning to do is I think we can feel something transitioning. I, I hope to maybe put some language on what those transitionings might be and maybe some temptations we ought to be aware of. Um, As we do it. So if you have your Bibles, if you go to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read from there, uh, verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to read from John 21. We're going to read both passages um, as we get started here. So Matthew 4, verse 1 says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left, and behold, angels came and, menace- and were ministering to him. Now John 21, verses 15 through 19 says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you, love, uh, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said it a third time. Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show about the kind of death that he was going to glorify God, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we are bombarded with the opinions of men. I pray in the next few moments that you would keep us from opinions of men we would like to hear from you. So I pray that you'd speak this morning. Lord, I just take a moment and I pray for our children. I pray that you would give them a heart to know you and to walk in your ways. I pray that you'd give them eyes to see your glory and to gaze upon your beauty all the days of their life and they would choose that. I pray for those serving our children and ministering to them. May you anoint them, may you bless them. And Lord, I pray in here, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And I thank you in advance for this, in Jesus' name, amen. When I was um, young and in college, I had a friend, and we were, went tubing on the lake. And if you know anything about tubing, it's just where you attempt to kill each other for a while, right, in the water. And so uh, it was me and him and some, and some other people, and we were basically, I'm highly competitive, and uh, so we had this thing worked out where we would time each other. You know, I would drive and try to throw him off and time and see how long he could stay on. Then we'd switch, he'd drive and time it and would see how long I could stay on, that kind of thing. And he had went, and it was my turn. I knew what time I had to beat, and I'm getting on there, we are be bopping around, he's slinging us around. All of a sudden I realized that the water's kind of cold <laughs> and that my swimming trunks had slid down to my knees. And so I got to thinking, you know what? Hey, the damage is done. Um, if I hold on with my shorts, the swimming trunks down like this, uh, and beat his time he can't top that i mean that's just what i'm thinking damage is done so he takes on you holding on your stomach and all of a sudden they uh, shorts slip down further they slip off one ankle <laughs> so i stick my foot in the air as high as i can get it so i'm on my stomach sticking my foot in there just to keep it it's like my shorts like a flag you know flying behind me and uh, i realize if i if uh, i lose my shorts i may not be getting out of this lake uh you know And so my friend slows down. I thought that was so nice of him. Then I realized he's like slowing down next to the swimming area. He took us near the buoys just so everybody could. uh... And so I finally just had to let go of the tube, had to just embrace the shorts, you know, be like, God, I'm thankful for shorts. I'll take the loss on this one, right? Live to fight another day. I I say that embarrassing story to you just so that, just because there's times in life where we have to choose to let go of something in order to grab a hold of something else that we really need. And I find when we transition with God, when God's moving us from one season to the next, it's often the thing that gets us the most stuck is not that we don't know where God's going and it's not that we don't know where God's leading. It's that where he's going and where he's leading requires us to let go of certain things we're not really ready to let go of. And we get stuck in transition. It's less about can you make it and more about all your baggage can't fit through the tunnel. So to speak, (laughs) you're gonna have to let some things go. And that's sometimes really hard. And so what I want to talk about this morning is we've been talking about the table. We've had four or five weeks now. You've been hearing about it. Uh, I, I really do think a great question for you to ask, would, for us to ask God would be, what is it God is asking us to let go of or hold more lightly in this season that we might grab a better hold of what he wants to do in the next season? What is it that we're holding right now that we might need to let go of or hold a little lighter that we might have a better grip on what God wants to do in the next season? So I want to kind of help us through that, and we're going to look at the temptations of Jesus at one time, and then how God is calling and uh, restoring Peter really sending Peter out to to minister for him. We're going to look at those kind of parallel and see if we can take some things from it. So let's dive in uh, here, the first temptation with Jesus. I think one of the things that we're transitioning from and that we have to be careful about the temptation of is to we just have, have to resist the temptation to try to be relevant all the time. When G- the, the temptation to turn stone into bread has to be seen on the context of Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, right? Now, first of all, I've heard people say, see there, the devil will come to you when you're your weakest. I just want to say, fasting made Jesus stronger, not weaker, right? I mean, what's going one more day without bread when you went 40? Like, he's at his best. He's not at his weakest, right? Let's just be clear about that. Um, but Satan comes to him and says, turn the stone into bread. The temptation is, display your power through relevant behavior, Do something that shows that you're competent, that you can solve problems, that you have things that you can control to meet the demands of the situation. Show that you can be relevant, show that you have some sort of competency that applies to the problem. And Jesus' answer when he says that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, it's a word in Greek that, it, that keeps coming, the words that keep coming out of the mouth of God. It's it's a continual in that sense. What Jesus is saying is that life is not found in getting, all the, getting your needs met or the relevant needs met or, or even in being relevant or competent, that life is actually found in communion with God, in listening to the words coming out of his mouth that keep coming out of his mouth, that we engage with God continually. That's where life comes from, not from bread alone. But from communion with God. But look, we live in a culture that assumes that if there is a problem, what we need is a competent expert. If you're sick, you need a competent doctor. If you have a problem with your car, you need a competent mechanic, right? If you, if you, uh, you guys get it, right? If you have some other technical problem, you need a competent expert. there. No, it lives by its competency. And there used to be a day where the church probably had a little more stature in, in culture because there was these huge gaps of, uh, of competency that no, we, we didn't know how to do and the church could fill it. And those are getting less and less as we grow more competent. And the temptation is to try to show the world, surely we're relevant to you. Surely we're trying to prove to the world that we have a legitimate stance. And just like Jesus doesn't have to prove it, neither do we. Jesus didn't have to prove it because Jesus is not the one that said it. He didn't say, hey, I'm the son of God. He will later. But on Matthew 4, it was God who said it when he was baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, if God pronounces it, let God back it up. He'll do the heavy lifting. I don't have to prove that. right? It's like uh, my, my, my father said, if, so, if I was talking to someone and said, I'm Tom Hargrave's son. And they say, no, you're not. I feel no need to argue with them. <laughs> I feel no need to prove that. I'm pretty settled in that. It's like... Yeah, I am, but that's okay. You know, well, I'm not going to argue with you about it. In other words, uh, uh, there's that settledness where we don't feel like we have to prove. You understand, if we try to do that, then what we're really doing is leaning out to the world and asking them to somehow legitimize us. When we're to call the world to God... We have to be careful in seeking to be relevant um, all the time. But even at all of that, all of our accomplishments and our our amazing competencies, all the ways we've advanced, you can just feel that beneath all of this great stuff is a deep current of despair and loneliness and isolation. We have more ways to communicate with each other lest we're less connected than we've ever been that underneath all of our great accomplishments, there's, there's lack of friendship and broken relationships. There's just flat out boredom with life. There's feelings of emptiness and depression. There's a deep sense of uselessness that fills our heart, even though we might be successful or competent in a whole bunch of areas. In other words, feeling irrelevant may be a much more general feeling and experience than we think. And it may be just here, right here, where the people of God, where the people of destiny if we could dare to resist the temptation of always trying to be relevant to the world, but in fact step forward in our unadorned selves, our vulnerable selves, and just be who we are, that is broken people who are loved by God, and somehow God is saving us, even though we don't deserve that, to stand there in our unadorned selves and hold out the good news that though you may have all the competency and all of the rest, the goal underneath it all is that God loves you and he is for you. We might find that we have a deep solidarity with the anguish that's underlying all of the glittering success of the world. We might find that they will hear what we have to say. And that brings us to Jesus' question to Peter. So the temptation here is prove yourself to be relevant, but when Jesus is calling Peter to do ministry, he's gonna launch him out, he's gonna send him out. What's the first question he asks? Do you love me? Not, do you know a bunch of stuff? not how many people follow you on twitter not what are your accomplishments not do you do people take you seriously do you love me we're in a we're in a season of transitioning where instead of trying to be relevant to the world that the idea of leadership and who's going to lead is transitioning from who's competent to do you love jesus and can you stand secure in that love and hold that out for the world That will be leading in the next season. To just posture ourselves to be confident in God's love. In a world of this loneliness and despair, There's an enormous need for men and women who know God's heart, that heart that is forgiving, that heart that cares, the heart that wants to heal, the heart that will bring grace and truth and who can stand in the world with no suspicion or vindictiveness or not trying to have resentment or even hatred and they can hold out to the world and they can say to the world, here's the good news. The good news is that you are loved. You were created by God for love and God stands here willing to love. Now come to the table. In our unadorned, vulnerable selves if we make being relevant and competent part of the criteria that it takes here to really do anything for Jesus then what we often do is we create a standard that begins to judge us unnecessarily and a lot of people think that they're not called by God who are called by God because they've compared themselves to a standard that God wasn't giving anyway there's a lot. This is a season where God is mobilizing and empowering all of the saints. Yeah. And you have to be careful, because if you make being relevant and competency the goal, then you'll feel inadequate, you'll feel uh, um, incompetent, and therefore uh, unavailable to Jesus. But you're not. The first question is, do you love Jesus? That's, that's where he starts. Just do you love him? That works. That goes a long way when it comes to helping people and serving. But there's a practice I want to give you to to live a life that's not dominated by all of the um, desire to be relevant or even the pull um, of all the urgent things going on around us. But to be anchored in God's love, one of the main practices we're going to have to engage in is contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer, as the mystics called it, is a, is a way of just a, a receiving God's love and giving God's love. It's that constant awareness that I'm in the presence of God and he loves me. Contemplative prayer is not always about talking as much as it is about awareness that I live consistently in the presence of a good God who loves me. And there's a lot of different practices that we can do, but we've got to move from trying to seek to be relevant to seek to be reliant on God through prayer, learning to live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And we do that through communion with him. We do that through prayer with him. I think if we can, through prayer, we can keep from being pulled from all of these different ways. Oftentimes what happens is we become strangers to our own heart. Can I just tell you this? Your prayer life will suffer if you separate what's going on in your heart from what you're praying. If you stop praying about the things that are really on your heart, you'll eventually stop praying. Watch. Part of it is to learn how to pray about the things going on inside of us, to bring our our broken, unadorned selves, to bring all the things we have going on here in communion with God, and to talk to him about it, let him talk to us about it. It's far more important you hear what he has to say about it than you get everything off your chest, but do that as well. It helps. If we can resist the temptation to be relevant, if we can dwell in God's presence, if we can listen to God's voice, if we can look at God's beauty, if we can experience God's word, his truth, if we can taste fully of God's goodness, if we can be secure in that love, rooted deeply in personal intimacy with God as the source of life, then I believe it is possible for us to be flexible without being relativistic, to be convinced without being rigid, to be willing to confront without being offensive, to be gentle and forgiving without being soft and and to be a true witness without being manipulative. If we can find that place, we have a chance to be all, to do this, to be this way in the world in a way that holds salvation out. And that is what this table is about. This table movement, these things that we've been talking about is about trying to be in the world. It's about not trying to be in the world in the most relevant way possible, but rather being in the, wo- in the world as one who loves God, is known by God, and who loves others. Learning to live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's number one. The second thing. Second maybe transition is the transition from popularity or the spectacular to faithful ministry. When Satan takes him up on the temple and says to jump and the angels will, will catch you, it's it's a way of saying, do something spectacular. Do something miraculous. Do something where everybody's going to see in awe. Do something amazing. That's what God wants. God wants people to come and hear you, so just do that. But it's a temptation to try to do God's will another way besides God's way. See, it's not just that we do God's will. It's that we do God's will in God's way. And that's why Jesus is able to say, wait a minute. I don't need to test God in this. Because I trust God in this. We must give up the drive for, to be spectacular, to be popular. I don't understand it, but somehow we get a little obsessed with it, don't we? That, that it's like um, we read about uh, feeding those who are hungry, and we think about the most spectacular way possible to feed the hungry, right? Can we have, can we have meals donated, and can we feed 5,000 people, and can we spend all the, this money? What about the person on your block that's hungry? What about the person down the street? What about the the person that you could invite to your own table to eat? Why do we immediately think about how big we can do things? Because we're moving, why is it we think that the bigger and more spectacular thing is the more effective thing instead of the personal thing? Jesus is inviting us to discover in the season of the table that doing things God's way, being highly relational, engaging with people, is the way that leads to fruitfulness in life. It may not be spectacular, it may be ordinary, but faithful, ordinary ministry, which we're all called in to do, will bear fruit. It will bear fruit and fruit that remains. It will bear fruit that remains. And that's why Jesus, uh, remember his question to Peter, was one, do you love me, but the second one, then feed my sheep. In other words, nurture their well-being. Give your attention to nurturing the well-being of others. Listen, it is possible for us to be for other people, to be genuinely for their well-being, even if we fundamentally disagree with them. That's okay. God's for their good, too, by the way. That's why, we, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago when, when I had a chance to preach almost a month ago now about... Uh, um, uh, Matthew, God calling Levi to, to follow him, that he was clear he needed to repent, but, but Jesus having dinner with him, Jesus bringing him close was a way of pulling him towards repentance. But the point is that what we can do this through intimate and personal relationships, the problem is it's just a little messy, right? But Jesus says, feed my sheep. And I want to just say, not only is ministry, we're all called to do this. Ministry is no longer about the platform, right? Ministry is about all of us engaging with people. Uh, The word ministry in Greek comes from, it doesn't matter, it just means to serve, uh, basically to serve someone, to be for their good, right? And as we do that, we'll be surprised to see what God does. But not only is ministry something we must all do together, uh, and that is ministry is communal, it's also mutual. The question is not only this, not only can we do the spectacular, uh, can we resist the spectacular, can you receive ministry from each other? See, not, this is not just about you ministering. This is about you being able to receive ministry from your brother and sister. Can you receive it and not just give it? Can we make ourselves vulnerable to other people? Can we welcome the other as a way of welcoming God? So this is gonna require practice, and the practice is a... Hospitality, hospitality is something Pastor Lawrence spoke of uh, last week, but learning to practice hospitality, I would like to say learning to practice spiritual hospitality, where we're not just making room in our homes for others, we're making rooms in our soul for others. I'm actually making space in the busyness of my life for someone else, someone who I don't know if they'll be here in a year, right? Right? To give all the, you know, I need some, if we need some sort of proof that the other person is worth the investment, (laughs) that's not love to begin with. Uh, That's something else, right? Look, it's possible to love someone knowing that even if they go on, that, that, well, we celebrate it in a wedding. In a wedding where the, where the father of the bride stands there and he says, who gives the, the one officiating, who gives the bride away? She says, her mother and I. That, 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 those two parents, that father and mother giving away that bride, had to love their daughter so much in such a way that even when, that they can encourage her to go on, even when they knew going on would change the relationship. Well, it wouldn't be the same. But you love the person enough to allow them to go on. We can do this with people. We can love, we can find places within our souls where even if they go on, we can urge them on in the goodness of God. Hospitality. The third uh, transition in temptation we must be aware of is a transition from seeking power, uh, leadership becoming really about power, to really learning how to lead by being led or lead out of our own vulnerability. When Jesus concludes with, uh, well, with, well sorry, Satan, Satan takes, Jesus shows him all the powers of the world, I mean, all the kingdoms of the world, and I'll say, I'll give it to you if you worship me. Here it is, the, the temptation for the power. Grab it. Grab it, Jesus. Come. Don't you know you want all the power of the kingdoms? You come for them anyway. They're all going to bow before you. Get it this way. Avoid the cross. You can feel the temptation and Jesus rebukes him and says, you'll get behind me, Satan. And then he says, I will worship the Lord alone and him shall I serve. In other words, Jesus settles into worship and obedience as the alternative to seeking power. When you're most tempted to grab a hold of power, pause and worship. There's something about power that is alluring, isn't it? I don't know what makes power so tempting to us, except for I think what power offers us is an alternative to actually having to love people. It is a lot easier to tell people what to do than to love them. It is a lot easier to play God in my life than to actually love God in my life. It's, a, it's easier to try to control other people than to actually love other people and be patient with them and bear all things with them and believe with them and hope with them and endure all things with them. That's why if I could just get a little control over the situation. Maybe I can get at the outcome I want. It offers us an alternative to love. But if we can see the way we see, how. That God shows his power by becoming a frail human being. and I mean, vulnerable as a baby. And in that vulnerability as a human being grows. And even allows himself to be crucified by his own creation. And then resurrects from the dead. Not only that, while being crucified, forgives them. And then rises from the dead, conquering and showing and displaying his glorious power even over death. But you see God's power in his vulnerable love. Not in his strong hand. Now don't get me wrong, he has a strong hand, but you see his power in Jesus in the vulnerable love offered to us. What does that mean practically? How do you practice vulnerability? How do you lead out of your vulnerability? Well first of all you have to acknowledge our vulnerabilities which often feel like weaknesses are actually a way in which connects us to others and ground us concretely in community. I just want to say you see people that go around and they visit all kinds of churches and groups and community groups and they can never find this weird thing called belonging. It seems so elusive to them. Chances are they're not practicing the vulnerability enough to feel like they belong. You see it's not just do you have people around you that love you, it's are you willing to be seen? Into me see, because into me I looked, into me I'm going to let you see. Now that you see it, you can accept that, then there's that sense of belonging. But if I refuse to be vulnerable, then I'm actually, hi- if I hide those things, I'm actually hiding from love. Does this make sense? So how do we, how do, we do this? I, uh, I uh, actually had a picture of it, and I felt a little self-serving, so I decided not to do it, but now I'm just going to tell you about it and be self-serving that way. <laughs> Uh, I'm making a table right now, a dinner table, a dining table for us in our our new home. And and, uh, there's a thing in woodworking called joinery. Joinery is when you're taking two pieces of board and you put them together. And if you strategically take wood off of one, and you strategically in a different place take wood out of the other, and when you glue them together, that that joint will be stronger than it would have if you'd have left them both whole and tried to glue them. Your vulnerability, you see it? Your weaknesses and inadequacies or places where when God adjusts your life inside a Christian community, and he is the glue that binds those things together, that community can be stronger than it would have been if it was on its own and whole and free from the other. You see what I'm saying? Your weakness, yeah, I love that. Your weakness and vulnerability is actually the place you can experience the deepest community if you'll have the courage to be vulnerable. Now, we have to do that if we're ever going to lead that way. But leading out of our vulnerability also means this. It means we make our own faith and our own doubts known to others. It means we make our hope and our despair known. Known. It means we make our joy and our sadness known. It means we make our courage and our fears known. It means we make our success and failures uh, known as a way of letting others come to see the God who loves unconditionally. We are not the healers, we are not the reconcilers, we are not the Savior. That's Jesus. We are broken people on the same journey we're inviting other people into as companions, knowing he's the guide who will heal and direct us. That's the mystery of ministry, my friend, is that we have been chosen to make our limited and very conditional love and broken lives somehow a gateway into his unlimited and unconditional love of God. I don't know how it works, but God has said, I'm gonna take you and all your brokenness and limits, and I'm gonna let that be seen And in that, people are going to come to know my depth of my unconditional love for them. We don't necessarily lead best in our strengths. Sometimes we lead best in our weaknesses. So if that's the case... That this practice of vulnerability, we're transitioning from trying to be relevant and competent to reliance on God and prayer. We're transitioning from, from trying to do things in a spectacular way to faithful, ordinary ministry of loving people day in and day out. We're transitioning from seeking power to learning how to lead by being led, how to be vulnerable with others. If that's the case, then what you can realize is this greatly opens up the possibility of who can fall into leadership. We don't need a competent few people on the stage. There are people that may be called to that, and that's a legitimate calling. Just like Jesus gathered crowds and preached, that was part of his calling. But we all Christians have a calling to make disciples. And we all have a calling to love people and to bear faithful witness to Jesus. And what we're saying is the table becomes a place where that can happen. Where well, we can bring people together, and, and not only will they can interact with us, but maybe through our vulnerability, through uh, uh, the, the atmosphere which is created, God would be at work in their lives, and God would do something miraculous. in saving them, or drawing them to himself, or healing them. So it means then leadership can look different. If we are sharing our lives and our, and our weaknesses and strengths, our joy and our sadness, our vulnerabilities, then it can look a little different. And that's one of the reasons why we are working with the, the Destiny Christian Leadership Institute to create now a track, really adjusting to really focus on how do we help train people to pastor, if you would, destiny tables. Look, uh, there are some, there's some training, there's some things that we need to learn, we need to learn how to have dialogue and meaningful conversation, we need to learn how to have, be a non-anxious presence <laughs> in front of someone as they're sharing things we may disagree with or even be shocked at, There there is um, uh, ways of, uh, uh, that we, there's just things we need to learn and, and it can be trained, but we're trying to find the most practical way possible, uh, how do we train people in the shortest amount of time so that they can get out and do it, they can just get out and do it. So you'll get more information on that coming, but I just wanted you to hear that if we're learning to lead by being led, it means we have to have some sort of preparation in discerning God and how to adjust and respond to God. And that's what we're going to be looking at doing. But it brings a leadership of the destiny table comes to different places. It's more about organic leadership than it is about organizational leadership. People grow organically, not mechanically. Uh, mechanical growth, if I was to throw a book down and then throw another book down, throw another book down, the pile would grow, but that would be mechanical growth. In other words, it's not growing from the um, interrelation, interrelatedness of the complexity of parts that make it grow. It's growing because something just keeps added to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Think of an assembly line. That's mechanical growth. It can happen fast, but it also happens unstable. Mechanical growth can easily be and subtracted from or blow up. You can do all kinds of stuff organic growth is a bit different you can't hardly measure it everybody know anybody having a place in your house that has all the heights on the doorframe right so and so when he was you know in 2006 was this tall now he's this tall on his birthday this tall why do you measure the height of a child because they don't know they're growing when things grow organically rarely do you notice it until you look back and test it till you you see it in another light or you see it in another context Same thing with some athletes. The only way, if you know if somebody's faster running the 40-yard dash at, at 18 than they were 16, is you have to time them when they're 16, and you can time them when they're 18. They may feel faster and be slower, and they may feel slower but be faster. You have to have something outside of it to measure it by. My point is, organic growth is hard to tell. Organic growth is more about, more about gardening than manufacturing. And when it comes to leading the destiny table, we have to think about how do we have organic leadership. Organic leadership is not about control and command. It's not about decision making and power. It's about climate control. Well, Just like gardening. I can't make this rose bush grow but I can put it in the right environment to help it. I can do everything I can to place it in the right environment so it has the greatest amount of success. I cannot save people, but I can put them around a table where they are heard and they're loved. I can put them at a place where somebody will listen to them, have intelligent dialogue with them, will seek to understand what's going on. I will be there as a witness of the good news of Jesus. I can't save somebody, but I can create an atmosphere where somebody might be saved. I may not be able to heal somebody, but I can create an atmosphere where people might find the courage to be healed in the presence of God. That's organic leadership, and it requires that we think about things a bit differently. It means we must learn how to create possibility. How do we impart hope? How do we watch the climate and the culture, and how do we turn the dials gently? How do we have conversation with people? How do we focus less on trying to get people through certain stages of some sort of growth and how do we just find out where they are and love them there? Help them discern what God's doing in their life, so they can just say yes to the next thing God's doing. That's our job. How do we help people do that? We can do that, we win. God will do the heavy lifting. Well, in... Um, in There's a place in Northern America, one of the hottest places in North America is Death Valley. Would you mind just showing a picture of Death Valley? Would the worship team begin to come as well? Here's a picture of Death Valley. It gets over 130 degrees um, most of uh, of, of the summer. A very hot place. But uh, something happened in 2004. In 2004, it was a weird, strange phenomenon. And that is in the winter, Death Valley got seven inches of rain. Unprecedented. And this is the picture of Death Valley come spring. People traveled from all over the world to take photos of it. What it revealed was just a lush carpet of beautiful wildflowers. What it proved, my friends, is Death Valley was not dead. It was dormant. And what it needed was the right environment, the right things added, and it became a flourishing garden. There is people that God has placed in your life and there may even be areas of your own soul that you think is dead. What I'm telling you is you made in the image of God. That has a resounding effect. It's not necessarily dead. There's something in there. It may just be dormant. There may be people around you that think they are dead. What they need is they need the environment in which to grow in. And what I'm saying is the table becomes a place that we try to create. We focus on the climate, not, on the, not necessarily on managing the people. We focus and we love people, but we're leadership-wise, we're watching the climate because at the end of the day, that's what we can do. That's what we can control if we want something natural and organic to happen. We can't force people to do anything else. How do I be a non-judgmental, non-anxious presence that's helping people discern God in their life? believing with them and hoping with them that love and and enduring with them and if they go they go the time that we had was great do you see how do we hold lightly that requires we give up some things doesn't it? we give up power we let loose a little bit of trying to always be relevant and have all the competent answers with people it means we let go of trying to manage outcomes it means that we Let go of trying to have our own intact um, self-confidence. Showing people only the best parts of ourselves. It means we have to learn to let go and trust God and learn to be vulnerable with other people about our fears and weaknesses, our mistakes and failures. Knowing somehow God will make sense of it. And he will use it for his glory and his honor. Well, your GP2RL. Um, Actually, would you stand with me as we do this? Your GP2RL, your God's presence to real life, your action point for this week is to go back to the very question we asked when we began. Would you take time this week to ask God what might you need to let go of in order to grab a hold of what God is doing in your life? What is it you might need to let go of in order to grab a hold of what God is doing? Now, in these times, there's different people at different places. You may be here, and you may just feel really disconnected with Jesus. You may hear me talk about how God loves you and how you can be secure in God's love, and you're like, that that sounds good. I've never experienced that. I mean, I would love an opportunity to pray for you. In fact, why don't we just do this? Would you just mind closing your eyes for a second? Because I just don't want to embarrass anybody. If you're here and you say, I... I heard you talk about the love of God and this deep-seated security we can have in it. And I just, that's not my experience. I, I need that experience. Would you just raise your hand, just slip it up where you are. I'd just like a moment to pray for you. Thank you, thank you. So, Father, right now I pray for these. I pray that you would meet them where they are. Holy Spirit, I pray you would brood over them like you did on the day of creation over the waters. I pray that you would deep unto deep, spirit unto spirit, you would make yourself known. That you would, you would uh, call them deep out into to see the, the depths of God's love for them. That he has already demonstrated his love for them. That while they were sinners, you died for them. Draw them to yourselves. May they call upon your name and experience the depth of your goodness, Jesus. You look uh, back up here at me, another, another way we can be disconnected with Jesus, and a lot of times we're disconnected with the church, and we just don't feel like we're connected, and again, like I was saying, ministry is not just uh, mutual, it's also communal, we're to do this together, and so what we have, one of our ways and our processes of helping people connect to the church is uh, called Discovering Destiny, and next Sunday in between services will be a chance for you to come and, and meet some other people who are walking this out and to, and to learn more about destiny and let destiny learn more about you that we might help you find community here in a meaningful way so if you would like to do that and you haven't if you've not been contacted then we don't know you want to come let me just put it that way so if you will take out a uh, connect card and you put your information on it you can just say you want to know about discover destiny next week and drop it in the giving station you will hear from us and that would be a way to help you maybe connect at a deeper level Maybe you're here and you uh, would like to know more about pastoring the Destiny table. You can do the same thing. You can fill out that Connect card and say, I would like to know more information about the training coming up about that. And we would love to let you know about that. Well, one of the things that Pastor Lawrence has, uh, I think, done so well, and that is part of our response as a, uh, as a community, part of our calling is not just to hear the Word, but to respond in worship to the Word. So we're going to take a little bit and we're going to worship. There's communion in the back if you'd like to take communion. Um, the giving stations in the back if you want to worship with your tithes but offerings but we just want to take a moment to respond to God um, as he is transitioning us maybe if you already know what you need to let go of maybe here's a great time to do that Jesus Holy Spirit come have your way take frail words spoken and do mighty things Things only you can do. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart swift to obey. May we see the ministry and we let go of the things that can't make the journey with us. For your honor and your glory, we thank you for this in Jesus' name, our only hope. Amen and amen.